Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What is the first brand you remember having an impact on you as a young girl? I love this question. Um, I didn't have a TV until I was about, I think, second or third grade. My dad went out and bought a Commodore 64. And with it, it didn't come with a monitor. So you had to buy a TV. And we got this Sony TV. And I saw this mayhem on the news one night over Cabbage Patch Kids. And honestly, Jim, I know there were other brands in my life way before that. But somehow that just hit me. I was like, oh, my gosh, I need one of those. Why is everybody fighting for them in the toy store? And I had a Cabbage Patch Kids. It was one of those like really big trends when I was young. And it, it got me like, why, why, why does everybody want this, right? What is it? It's just a doll and you adopted her. And um, so that's one of the first brands I really, really remember and thinking like, oh, I, I, I really would like one of those. My dad very kindly went out and arm wrestled somebody for one of them. Do you still have your Cabbage Patch doll? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a lot of things with growing up, but I don't think so. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Courtney Harwood, the Chief Marketing Officer of Everside Health, one of the largest and most innovative direct primary care providers in the United States, with 350 healthcare centers in 34 states. Everside is based in Denver, Colorado, and they typically are located near the offices or factories of their clients. My guest Courtney began her career on the ad agency side with BBDO and Low Lintas. Since then, she has worked on a variety of brands and business models. The Financial Times, Fresh Direct, online ad platform AdKeeper, shopping app Keep.com, Xerox, the biometric identity company Clear, and for the last nine months, Everside. Quite a career, quite an interview. This is my conversation with Courtney Harwood. Courtney, welcome to the CMO Podcast. How is your 2022 going so far? It's great. 2021. Thank you for having me. 2021 went out with a bang, like for many people. Unfortunately, my family uh, went down um, with COVID. My children, um, everybody's fine and healthy and vaccinated, and we were survived, but it did blow up some of our plans for the holidays. So, um, we were really excited for 2022 and a fresh start. So, um, so you had a quiet holiday with everyone sort of quarantining. Correct. Yes. How that? Yeah. Yes. Watch movies, read books, lots ate cookies. of movies, lots of books, lots of junk food. I mean, truly, my 11 year old is living his best life. He was like, this, besides this, like COVID thing, you know, getting unlimited screen time and all the food he wants was, you know, his happy place. So. Yeah, it was. We were supposed to be visiting family in California and skiing and doing all kinds of other things. And listen, such is life. Yeah, yeah. So, what are you looking forward to in this year, both on your business and in your personal life? So, professionally, we, you know, I've been at Everside Health for just about nine months and we are just getting started. So, I'm really excited 
to have a little bit of um, wind at our back on having started to build the brand and really get the opportunity to push that, um, hopefully get out and be able to have more in-person meetings with clients and um, you know, opportunities to really socialize the brand more. Um, there's so much we can do and we've got great momentum. So excited about that, working with the team to really drive the company forward. Um, personally, uh, obviously, um, travel is huge. I'm mm-hmm. so excited. I did manage to sneak in um, a trip to Paris with my daughter, which I promised her for her birthday um, in October. And somehow it seems like we were super lucky that that actually happened, but we love to travel. I grew up traveling. Um, so excited for a little bit more of that. And I would just say reunions, personal reunions. There's so many yeah. people I haven't been able to see. I, I'm, I'm sure this is what everybody tells you, but um, it's true. It's people. It's such an important part of life for me is, is those personal um, interactions and being together in real life. So looking forward to that. So I want to, before looking forward, I want to look back on 2021 just for a moment more. You left a company clear in 2021 who obviously was massively affected by the pandemic. Yes. Right? I'm a clear member. Uh, I love it at the airports. And you joined a company that is front and center in the pandemic because you are caregivers. So I just want, want to know about that decision you made. Did, sure. did your family experience in the pandemic or your personal experience did that have anything to do with you making that decision to leave yes. an interesting company Absolutely. and join a healthcare company? Absolutely. Um, I am, um, you know, Clear was an amazing experience. And, you know, we were at the heart of um, you know, people stopped traveling, obviously. And um, listen, it was it is an amazing service and an incredible business model. And that's an annual recurring revenue. And so. Sure, we saw this thing coming. We saw it in our numbers, um, and obviously nobody could could anticipate how long or you know any of that. But um, it's a really healthy business, and so it was a very stressful time for sure. Um, but the good news is that business did continue to do well and is doing really well today. So super happy for them. Um, it was a personal decision, a lifestyle decision. I frankly burnt out, and I think you hear this over and over. Um, very stressful time. You know, even though the, the, the business continued to do well, there was a lot of stress and pivoting and it was really tough. And I'm, I'm pretty tough. I've been at this mm-hmm. in a long time. Um, but I think like so many people between kind of the work pressure and what was going on and personal, um, needs, right? I have two kids at home. I have a husband who works whose job was also impacted by the pandemic. It was just a tremendous amount to handle. And for me, I just frankly had a chance to say, gosh, what, like so many people, is this working for me? Am I bringing my best self to work every day? Am I bringing my best self to my family every day? And the answer was no at a certain point. And I really, life is way too short and I just had to address it. And so I got this incredible opportunity to join Everside. And it is a very, and I know you love to talk about purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, We are really, really mission driven. Um, Clearly, we're on the front lines of of caregiving, healthcare company. um, And so I was very inspired and I needed that to really want to go and live, help lead a, a team. And there's so many, and we'll talk about that, but there's so much going on um, on the marketing side and communication side forever side, but to really feel every day, right? We get out of bed and we're making a difference in, in people's lives who really need the help. Um, it's, it's a tremendous feeling. And that was, that was really a big part of it for me. Um, so I think at the end of the day, you hear, you know, these, these, um, cliched terminology, but I, I burn out and I had to fix that. And if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people and you frankly can't do a good job at work. I want to ask you how you knew you were burned out. I, I've been in places in my life where I was burned out and at the time I didn't know it. And yeah. that's not a good thing. So how did you have the self-awareness? What were the signals? And then how quickly did you act on it? You know, I will not say there was certainly not one moment. Um, I think there were a couple of cues, right? So I physically didn't feel well. 
And I was trying really hard to combat that with you know, a Peloton at home. And mm-hmm. I, I said, and, and it was really genuinely helpful. I would joke that my dog needed to take me for a walk, right? I had to get out. I very often listen to your podcast. Um, and so it physically didn't feel great. Um, I, my kids saw it and, and I actually think this is a really interesting part of the pandemic that when we look back, our kids, they, they've never, children have never been exposed at this length of time to what their parents do for a living. Cause right, so right. many people weren't doing it at home. Right. So suddenly I was doing it at home. I have a little house. Um, and there was a lot of exposure to what was going on, both my husband and me dealing with incredibly stressful, really awesome, but stressful jobs. Suddenly they're hearing all of it and they started saying things to me. And it just made me really aware of, of gosh, I just, I don't, you know, and they, and they notice, right. You seem unhappy. Are you mad at me? And I realized I was, I never want to do that. Right. I, I don't want to take it out on them. Um, and so there were these small moments that just started to add up. I have a great group, sounds like you do too, of girlfriends that I grew up with who've known me mm-hmm. my entire life. Some of them started to say, hey, we've had this conversation a couple of times, like more than a couple of times. Um, what, what are you going to do about it? And I've, I've always been a person who said, you know, okay, I got to change something. I don't sit back and, and kind of let it happen. I'm going to go try and make a change. So it was a bunch of small things that added up. Um, And I started, you know, as I said, I didn't feel well healthy. I started losing a lot of weight, um, which Mm. normally is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was not a good thing at the rate at which it was happening. And so all of these signs, you just have to be aware. You know, I under, I I live in um, Westchester and I commuted into the city before this all happened every day. I underestimated sometimes that commute was very, very stressful. Other times, great, great opportunity to A, get prepared for your day and B, decompress. And so when you literally go from your home office to the kitchen where dinner needs to get made or homework needs to be looked at, that decompression point does not happen. And it was not good, right? So that's when I started saying, okay, the dog and I need to go out for a walk because I need to, to get in a better place before I can kind of take on my you know, responsibilities as a mom and a wife. I'm still dealing with that decompression thing because I'm doing the same thing everyone's doing, those, of, those who have the privilege of working at home, I guess. But you know, there's just, uh, I kind of used to enjoy the walk or the ride to work and the ride okay. back. And I'm still dealing with what are my own rituals to change it. I, I got up this morning, did a little work, took a walk, came back, you know, just things like that I'm doing to sort of give me that decompression time where I listen to some news, listen to some music, you know, listen to a podcast. That's so important for us all now. Totally. I mean, I do the same thing. I got up, I try and actually start, went to the gym very early this morning, walk the dog, I do mm-hmm. these things, the routine that you need. And it's, it's different now. Um, and, and, but it, having the, the personal time. Um, and your mental well-being, it just it sets you up for success for the day for sure. And some days, listen, it goes totally haywire, right? Like it just can't always go as planned, but we try. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now we're going to get into Everside in a moment, but mm-hmm. this career path issue, which you brought up, is so topical right now. So many people are wrestling with that. There's stories written every day about what's going on now. No one's quite figured it out. And I want to talk to you a bit more about your career path because you started at an interesting place and you made some really interesting decisions. And, yeah. and I want to go into that a bit because I think there are lessons that you can share with our listeners. You began your career really in advertising and worked at two very famous agencies, yeah. BBDO and Lolintas, and you worked on some, you know, signature brands, Visa, Gillette, Burger King. So was that a great start for your career? And is there a lesson 
from that experience that has helped you as you carried your career forward? Absolutely. Um, I, I, it was a spectacular opportunity. So I went to college in Middlebury in Vermont and I was an art history and Italian major, which is God love my parents. Yeah, it was awesome. God love my parents for helping me out with that. But um, I, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about my background, you know, always very, very interested in business um, because of how I grew up. But so, so I did a bunch of research on what I wanted to do when, when I got out of college, obviously, as, as you do. And there were two things that really attracted me. One was going into the business of art. So potentially working at auction houses. Um, and the other one was advertising. And I talked to some alumni from Middlebury who worked, um, in the industry. And I just fell in love with this notion that, um, and, and in hindsight, uh, there's certainly tremendous um, learning uh, opportunities there. But what happened was somebody described agencies as this and, and the account side as the spoke in the wheel, right? And so you got to be in the middle of the creative process, the planning process, the strategic process. And it just really fit with this sort of creative and business side of me. Um, and thankfully have networked with folks, alumni from Middlebury, and I got my first job as an assistant account executive on Gillette, the mail business at BBDO. And it, uh, I would highly recommend it. You know, if the agencies are still, I mean, it was a long time ago. So if agencies are still operating the way they were, I got an incredible view into the creative process. I worked with some really amazing creative talent and kind of, you know, what is the, what is the brief from the client? So getting to work with really smart, talented, frankly, fairly high level, um, clients. Right. And so here I am, uh, you know, right out of college, I'll never forget to actually (laughs) date myself, but I volunteered. I was so happy to get on a plane and take a rough cut up to Boston at the time. That's where Gillette was based. Um, and I walked in and the, the big wig, you know, I sat down with him and I shared it and he gave me some feedback and it was an incredible experience that that's really hard to come by. And so, to be able to do that, to be able to, at such a young age and, you know, young experience, to get to sit at the table, both internally at BBDO with really talented strategy mm-hmm. and creative people and media planning. Um, and then, of course, with the clients. So it gave me, you know, such a view. I worked on packaged goods and financial services and then fast food, of course. Um I got a taste of all of those pieces of how, how do we, you know, how is the recipe, how do we put it all together? And then, um, looking at all the different industries. Right. And so, and, and at BBDO, we, we shared a lot. So I got to see what was going on with Skittles or M&Ms or Pepsi at the time. Those were all at BBDO. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. So I did two years at, at BBDO and then a few years at Lowe's. And, or it was, it was Amarati Pierce Lintas when I joined yeah. and then we merged yep. with Lowe. Um, so really highly recommended if you're trying to figure out, I mean, listen, I think most people, many, many people are right. So I encourage folks to give themselves a chance to try as many things as they can. Right. And, and that might be at an ad agency that might be at, um, a tech company that's growing. And, and I mean, I've had so many opportunities uh through through my variety of jobs to to grab new things so new chances new opportunities with the right leadership um that's been something that has come my way for sure you moved to the client side after your begin your starting the agency side and you worked at an incredible number of different in, in different industries this is yes. what's fascinating about your career i mean the financial times super interesting just read a really good story this morning in the Financial Times. Fresh Direct, uh, online ad platform, AdKeeper, Keep.com, Xerox, Clear, and now Everside. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> so you're obviously a very curious person. You're not yes. afraid of new things. That's right. What are, what are, what's the red thread in that career? Is it interesting opportunities? Is it people? Is it you you know, business it. models? Okay. You nailed we'll, it. I we'll think, go there. Listen, I'm, I have, I'm very curious I think one of the things um, I'm a lifelong learner, and so and and frankly, I'm not. I, I've had conversations with recruiters before, like, "Well, what's your ten year plan?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that is." You can tell from 
um, my career path and kind of, if you know me personally, like that is just, that's not me. That's not how I operate. Um, and Lord knows we've been living in a, in a global pandemic. If anybody had a 10 year plan, they certainly didn't build this in. I don't think so. Um, I think that the thread there, and when, when I think about it, um, I actually really like building the plane while we're flying. Like I get a kick out of that. I love the, um, I love the, the unknown and the disruptive chance. Um, I love that, um, you know, and, 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 I, and I say that and you're probably thinking, well, how is Xerox building the plane while you're flying it? But what was happening at Xerox and the, and the opportunity I took there, they really were reinventing the company, right? And really trying to turn the ship around. And so that was a different view on that than a full startup like AdKeeper and Keep were. Um, my sweetest spot and the thing that I really love is, is growing companies. So past the like super startup phase, when you've got a business model that works, hopefully maybe you're making some, some revenue at that point. And now we're going to put some, some, um, fire starter on the fire, right? We're going to really get it going. And, and that's when I joined, um, Fresh Direct. That's where they were at, right? And so they had, gotten past the, oh boy, we didn't deliver those orders today stage, right? Like the super startup working the kinks out. We were um, a growing marketing team and we were really sort of professionalizing the organization and figuring out how do we grow faster. Um, so when I look at the thread, it's it's a bit of that. It's I do really love, and some a lot of people, they don't like that. They're really outside mm -hmm. their comfort sure. zone, right? Of, of, Boy, I need a more certainty. I need to know where we're going. I, I kind of love the the let's roll up our sleeves and fix this problem, and let's let's make this happen, and let's create a brand, or let's um, reinvent ourselves. And so um, I figured out that that's um, a big part of my decisions. The other big part, which you nailed, is people. It's all about people. The hardest part of business is people, and and. And where I find myself successful is when I'm working with people who challenge me, who are definitely smarter than me or give me, you know, um, challenges. I, as I said, I'm a lifelong learner. I always want to be learning. And so I think that's also part of it, right, is I've been in all these different industries. And so it's given me a chance to learn subscription marketing, direct marketing, e-commerce. B2B business, you know, um, content and commerce, and now healthcare. Healthcare is brand new to me. Um, but I, I think it makes me a more well-rounded marketer um, and, and really brings um, a unique perspective to the table from, from an executive standpoint. Um, so, Courtney, which of those experiences stretched you the most? Mm. Probably Xerox. Um, I would say it was so different than anything else I'd ever done at that point. I obviously I'd worked it in, in the agency on big accounts, um, but I had never worked at such a big company with really big teams and really big budgets. And that's part of why I did it, right? Was to challenge myself to see if I could succeed. It really did stretch me. I, I, I was hired by an amazing woman who saw my ability to hopefully um, you know, drive change on, on the digital front. I was brought in to run digital globally. Um, and so there was just a lot of figuring out, right? There are people at Xerox who've been there a really long time and there's built in knowledge. And thankfully, there's a point in my career where I was completely confident to say, hey, listen, guys, you're talking a lingo I don't understand. Let's, can we break this down in a much clearer way uh, so that the newbie can understand what we're doing here. Um, and, and I was brought in to help shake things up and do it a little differently. Um, but it definitely put me outside of my comfort zone, which is definitely a theme in my career. Um, that I've, I've had opportunities that would have been easier to, to stay where I was and I grabbed them. Another one was at that point when I was at Xerox and there's a big global company, right? I had three or four time zones I was managing big teams, a lot of remote work at the time, which now is, is sort of second nature, but at the time was sort of new. We had a pretty big um, change in our leadership at Xerox while I was there. Um, and I was asked to step in as the CMO. And here I was having come from running, um, you know, CM, CMO of Keep, and then I stepped in as the CEO at one point, you know, running a small startup to being asked to be the head of a 300-person global marketing team. 
I definitely took a beat and I was totally blown away by the opportunity. And I did have that conversation where I said, listen, I need to think about this. I need to make sure it was going to work and, you know, for my family. And of course I said, yes. So, um, it was, uh, opportunity that I just couldn't turn down. And, and, and I think I did a good job and I'm super proud of that. There's no question it stretched me the most that I'd, I'd ever been stretched before. When you were asked to be CMO, what did you do in your first month or two to get started? You didn't have um, previous experience in that space. The company was kind right. of still new. Well, thankfully, so at, at Xerox, thankfully, um, I'd had, and I can't remember now the exact amount of time, but I'd had a chunk of time to get to know the people, the mm-hmm. business, you know, so I was familiar. There's, I, I don't think there's any way I would have um, gone into that role straight out as an outsider. Um, and so we were working, and I'm really proud of the work we did. We were we started working immediately on a new brand campaign. So we had a new CEO. He had a new vision for the company, um, and I needed to help bring that to life. Um, we worked with YNR. We'd worked with YNR for years, so they were, you know, a steady um, uh, partner. In, in a lot of change, right? And so they helped uh, work with me to bring a new campaign to life. And so we really, we were full throttle, full court press, um, bringing a new brand to life, bringing the new CEO's vision to life. Um, so I would say that was at the heart of, of what we were doing day in, day out. And of course there's, with new leadership comes new direction, new initiatives, new priorities. And we were constantly you know, aligning to those. Um, so, but the, but the campaign that we worked on was, um, really, really, I'm very proud of that work. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. All right, let's continue talking about CMO ship and let's talk about Everside. And before we do that, I mean, I gave in the introduction, our, I gave our listeners a bit of background on your company and you, but I'd like you to talk about Everside sure. and why it's unique, why it's differentiated, what is it about the culture? And you talked about you joined for very personal reasons, but I'd like you to talk a little bit more about why this company versus another healthcare company. Yeah, sure. Love to. So let me tell you a little bit about what Everside does. Um, we are, we're based out of Denver. Everside Health is a direct primary care provider. And what that means is we do healthcare differently. I think most people have experienced um, challenges in the healthcare system. Um, so we, we sell directly to employers. And so we, we really kind of challenge the status quo of healthcare. And so we sell di- healthcare directly to employers. We stand up on-site and near-site health centers for those employers' employees, and in some cases, unions and, and their members. And why our offering is different, and we believe better, um, is because the, the problems that patients run into, access to care, cost of care, our model helps solve that. So we, rather than a fee-for-service, we're a value-based care model. What that means is we have a flat fee that we arrange with our the, the client, the employer, um, and we agree to what we call a per-member-per-month fee. And for that, we create a kind of basket of primary care services that the employer is now providing this benefit to their employee. Um, and it's very often conveniently located, say, in a manufacturing plant or right around the corner from, from the office, you know, in Denver is a good example. Um, and it's really easy then it's to get the access to the care. Additionally, we don't incentivize for number of patients going through the system, right? We have a much smaller panel size. Panel size is an industry term for how many patients are going through and seeing a provider. Our providers aren't incentivized uh, to see more and more patients, right? So we pay, we employ the doctors, the nurses, the medical assistants. Um, So we stand up these health centers. Those folks work for us and they're providing really quality care. They are not rushed. 
right? So big complaints very often is, boy, I can't get an appointment. When I get an appointment, I have five minutes with a doctor who barely spends any time understanding what's going on and just wrote me a script or referred me out. And so we really flip the model there. And so our providers aren't rushed. They can spend as much or little time as you would like as a patient with them. And it's also low to no cost to the patient. So a big reason people don't go to the doctor um, is because they don't know what this is going to cost them. It is scary. Jim, the average American family spends $20,000 a year on healthcare. That is an enormous number. $20,000. That's enormous. And so um, what happens is people don't get care, right? So something hurts. They're scared to find out what hurts. They they don't think they can afford it, and they don't take and and or they can't get an appointment, right? And so now they're ending up lots of times in really expensive ER visits, right? They end up in the ER, they're waiting there for hours, and it costs them and their employers a lot of money. So our whole mission is to do preventative primary care that really cares for you, the whole person, and then hopefully downstream saves and not hopefully we have tons and tons of um, uh, research and evidence that shows this model works. It, the, the, the employee takes care of themselves preventatively. And now, and now the employer is acing a healthier workforce and B, saving money because they're not going to expensive hospital visits or outside referrals, right? So we're providing a tremendous basket of primary care services that really, you know, we, we really cover a a nice breadth of services there. So you're the first CMO, right? Yes. So we've definitely had marketers. So Everside is, um, actually we are a new brand and that is a big reason Mm -hmm. why I went. It was an incredible opportunity to help build this brand. I was very excited about what we do and that we are, you know, at the heart of why we exist is that we believe every American deserves quality, affordable healthcare. And as I said, um, you know, $20,000 for family, that's not affordable. And something like 90 million Americans have no or very minimal healthcare. So we're really aiming to solve that by going to the employer and helping them give a really powerful benefit to their employee. So yes, so... Everside is, while a new brand, we've been around as our legacy companies for quite some time. So we were originally Paladina Health, Activate Health, then we acquired HealthStat, and then we acquired our health just this past summer. So together, we make up um, Everside Health, and but we were all direct primary care providers. So uh, yes, as Everside Health, I am the only CMO, and I and I don't know, and I can't speak to I do know that there weren't CMOs at a few of the other the companies that we acquired. Mm-hmm. You're in your first year. You're the first CMO. The company's growing like crazy. You're, I think, in the process of going public, or that at least has been in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. You felt a bit burned out at Clear. Now, this sounds like a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> so I'd like you to talk about how are you managing it all? And as the first CMO, where did you start? Where, what, what was your agenda, you know, in your first few months? And, and what, what has your personal focus been? Where to start? Okay. Uh, how do I manage it all? Yeah, we'll um, start there. Yeah. I, um, I have good days and bad days. I will tell you, this company really believes in taking care of yourself and we are fast paced and we're growing like crazy, but we really respect each other's um, space. Uh, I try not to, and I lead it that way. I do, I, I use the, the tool, you know, I have to do emails on the weekends because sometimes just when I can finally get to them, I don't blast people's inboxes over the weekends. I send later so that they're not, you know, getting blown up. And we really think that you need to take the time to take care of yourself because if you do that, you bring your best self to the office, right? the office. <laughs> I, I do work yeah. remotely. Um, and so um, it, it, it comes from the culture and the leadership. And it has been, we're a healthcare company. We know um, the, the negative impacts of stress and, and not having a break. And you got to set your out of office sometimes. 
And, and there are times when, um, certainly in my first three to six months, it was constant pedal to the metal. I gotta say, I love that. I actually love it. Um, but I also know when I'm going to hit a breaking point and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to take my foot off the pedal a little. So we lead from the top really, uh, when it comes to, um, having your personal time and not letting it constantly let work constantly run into your personal time. And so, um, again, if you're not setting the example, it's not, mm-hmm. it's people are going to feel the pressure to respond to the email I sent at four o'clock on a Saturday or whatever it is. So. And I, I'm really clear with my team about that because sometimes I forget to send this in later. When I first started, I said, listen, I might work at unusual times, right? I have kids. Um, I work all day and then I definitely take a chunk of time off to sit down and have dinner with them and work through homework or take them to sports or whatever it is. And, and then I get back online because I love what I do and I like working. And that doesn't mean that I expect you at all Mm -hmm. to reply to me at my, I'm a total night owl. Um, and so you just have to set those expectations so that people don't, you know, kind of, and I learned that, um, earlier in life, right. That, that, um, frankly, from some bosses who would bomb me all weekend and I'm, I'm a, a a very responsive and involved person and I would reply and, and it, it started to weigh on me. So I wanted to do it a little differently. You come in as CMO and it sounds like the company really cares about people and health, but. Where did you start? How did you decide your agenda, your priorities? Did you interview the lead team? Did you take some time to learn? So tell us about your onboarding and how you formed your priorities. Sure. So as certainly as part of the interview process, my questions were around, why do you need a CMO? What do you, what will, what will make, what will success look like in this role? So I started to get a good feel before I even started about what we needed to do. Um, it was clear we had to build the brand. We had to raise the profile of the company and our executives. That's, that's part of how we're doing that. Um, and, um, and so that, that right off the bat, I knew that that had to be a, a top priority. Um, we, the team needed some TLC. So that was a, that's always a, a priority for me is really kind of structuring the team in a way. That was going to be the most uh, effective for us, and also getting to know um, my people and what they needed, right? My the team. Um, but yes, I I had conversations with our head of sales, our HR, our CEO, the president, our head of ops, um, everybody. Right? We are very we do a we do a um, a huddle every morning. Um, we're a very close team. Really talk a lot about what's going on in the company. And, you know, you partly have to do that today, but I think that um, in today's work environment, but it absolutely makes us more effective because we're, we're talking so frequently. So I, I knew some of the challenges and opportunities going in and that really helped set me up. The other piece, so there's this very much this build the brand, there's drive demand. So we had to you know, help build the sales pipeline for that team. So that was another big piece of kind of where are we on our on our campaign there and how are we doing that and what is our value proposition? And um and then the other piece which which I love and and, and is definitely without a doubt the biggest challenge of the role is engagement. So how do we and 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 the reason I say it's the hardest challenge is because um people inherently are scared often to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Right. And so our job as the marketing team, one of the pieces that is on the team is engagement. And how do we get our patients to um, enroll with us and then come see us? And we know that if they do that, they come meet this doctor who's going to sit down with them. If they want 30 minutes, or they want 90 minutes. They're going to sit there and they're going to talk to them. And we do a very thorough um, onboard analysis and, you know, health um, reading of, of where you're at again, totally up to you how much time I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I'm like, okay, I got 30 minutes. Let's talk. Right. But you know, a lot of our patients spend almost 90 minutes with our providers. If we can get you to do that, we know we've, we, we've got, um, you know, an evangelist and, and a lover of our service, um, because they feel taken care of, um, our providers come to us the doctors and nurses, they want to come work in this model because it allows them to what it's called 
practicing at the top of their license, right? They get back to doing care. The, the reason they went to get their, you know, medical degree in the first place was take care of people. And, and as I said, it, it, it has gotten, there's quotas to fill. There's paperwork to fill out. We take so much of that away. And we say, you get to take care of the patient. You don't have to see nearly as many and you can spend the quality time and really understand um, what's going on with them. I've talked to, you know, I have friends who are in the medical profession who, who lose sleep over the pace at which they are meeting and diagnosing patients, right? Like they're afraid they're going to make mistakes. And so we get the chance to really understand what's going on and, and, and properly um, take care of our patients. And so that's good for the provider. It's good for the patient, right? So I think, you know, to me, the priorities became pretty clear, just even going in and I had my, my plan ready. And of course, um, I frankly, you never know until you're, you're really under the hood and, and figuring things out, what, what needs to be worked on. And there were things that I didn't see that we absolutely had to, to get sorted. Some of that is from integration, right? So here we are. Um, a new brand, um, really um, mission-driven company. But we had four legacy companies, right? And so there are systems and processes that we had to fix. We had to streamline. Um, I think it's a it's a really good opportunity to get to take a fresh look at everything. But I had a conversation recently with somebody who said to me, "Oh, I'm not, you know, trying to stir the pot." And I said, "We have to challenge everything. You're not you're not stirring the pot. You're." You're bringing your sense to something that doesn't seem to be working quite right. And I, I, I expect myself and, and our team to do that every day, right? You can't just accept kind of what's worked and maybe it hasn't worked, right? And if you think it's off, there's probably a really good chance that we could do it better. And so I definitely lead from that um, angle that I, I want people to challenge and question and there's a way to deliver those things. I think sometimes people are worried, oh, as, as this gal said to me, oh, I'm stirring the pot. And it's like, how you deliver it, how you talk to people about mm-hmm. it, that's what makes it different from we're on the same, we got the same, we're on the same train and we're trying to deliver the same results. And hey, I was wondering why we do this this, this way. Nine times out of 10 in every job I've had, it's like, hey, I don't know. Let's, let's, let's change that. Let's look at it differently. Or no, this is why we do it that way. Great. Okay. That makes sense. So I really encourage, um, I, I do it myself and I encourage the team to question, um, and, and, and push, push the envelope, um, in a really respectful way. Right. So I think that's the difference. You've got to really, yeah. you know, come at it from a, a respectful perspective. When you talk about your purpose and the impact you're making and how you're differentiated, your name is a wonderful choice. Ever side. Yeah. Always by your side. This Always by your side. And, that, and you're doing that. You're setting up beside employers. And it's just a lovely expression of your purpose. So whoever yeah. thought up the name, well done. I can't take credit. And it, it absolutely, it, it is, um, you know, the, the leadership team before me, they, they really did a great job. I agree. I, and, and frankly, when I started talking to the company, they're still Paladina Health. And I was really excited when they showed me what the brand, the new brand, you know, kind of the uh, coming out, what it was going to be called and that our tagline is always by your side. And we see it and we hear it all the time. Um, we really lead patient first. That's one of our core values. And. Um, we actually just did a testimonial. One of the things that I needed right away, right out of the gate, we really needed content. We needed to tell the story. Who is Everside? Because when you you and I talk, I can tell you what we do. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. Why isn't everybody doing this? Um, we needed that um, patient testimonial. We needed the provider testimonial. And we needed the client testimonial. And so we went and built a lot of great content that we can use um, both from a branding perspective, we, we've deployed it on our website and obviously powered our, our sales team with some of these messages. But we are always, we, we use NPS as a measure of our satisfaction, both um, provider and of course the overall experience. And I get these weekly reports and I read through all of them, um, particularly, you know, tens with stars and why are they saying wonderful things? And, and, most importantly, the, the low ratings and, and what, what's not going right and what, what do we need to improve? And um, 
when we recently did, there was a great one just the other day and it was a new client and she said, I felt dizzy and normally I would have ignored it, but we have the health center right there. So I went in, I got great care and this is what we hear all the time because we're always by your side. We're right there literally um, to help you figure out what's going on. There was another great story of a, it was actually a client who's one of our best evangelists and, um, and he obviously believes in the model tremendously. Um, he said he didn't feel well in a meeting and he got up and he said, I have to excuse myself. I, I don't feel well. And he went out and he walked around the corner to one of our health centers. He found out he had the flu. And so he, he said to us, you know, not only are you always by my side, but you're by my team side. Cause I stopped spreading the flu in the office. So, um, it is really core to what we do every day. We help our patients live their healthiest lives. And um, it is it is through and through everything we do. Um, Courtney, I asked you about coming in and your uh, agenda and your priorities. And the first thing you said is raise the profile of the company and executives. You, you said you need to build the brand. And I want, I want to ask you a really fundamental question about mm -hmm. that. Why is that important? And the second part of that is, how do you do it? <laughs> there are a lot of people who are trying to build a brand for various reasons. Uh, and sometimes they just don't know how to take those first steps. So I'd like you to talk about why this is why you were hired, mm -hmm. why this is important to the team, because you are growing. You have happy clients. You're raising money, apparently pretty successfully. So why is that important? And how... Are you going about it? Sure. It's important because, you know, at the heart of what we do, we need our, our sales folks' phone calls to be answered. We need um, people to know that we're out there. We've been out this. We're a very quality organization. Um, and so when you launch a new brand, um, that, that well, who's this Everside? Where, where did you come from, right? We're not some new scrappy thing. We've been around for a long time. We have very quality um, clinical providers. We um, have very strong bones. We have amazing leadership. We have great people who work every day in and out to bring quality healthcare to Americans. Um, but we do it because we need people to know who we are, right? And, and we are a business. We're a for-profit. And so part of my job is to help my sales team get their phone calls answered. I want to ask you an industry question and then move into the creative brief. Mm -hmm. Healthcare as a sector is not seen as a high marketing innovator. You've worked in categories which are seen as high innovators like CPG, like financial services. And I, you, you have a, almost a year experience now in healthcare. I'd like you to talk about why do you think that is? Why is that category, which is so important for the world, yeah. which does spend a lot of money, but they're just not seen as innovative in marketing. Why do you think that is? And how can we change that? Hmm. A good question. I got to think about that one for a second. Um, you know, I'm new to the industry, so I bring hopefully new, fresh thought, new ideas. Um, I think that you know, we're, we're different in that we're a smaller sized healthcare company. You lump in the healthcare industry and you've got big insurance companies and huge hospital providers. And I think sometimes um, there's just slow, there's red tape and there's um, old ways of doing things. And everything that Everside stands for is, is, is fighting against that, right? And so when you hire folks who think differently, hopefully move faster. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a really tough um, approval process. My, my you know, Chris and Gaurav, who, who are the president and CEO, they trust me and have and shown, you know, go, 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 let's go do this. I trust you. Clearly, I'm running things by them. I want their input. They're longtime um, healthcare um, in this industry. But they trust me to go get it done, and we we move fast. So um, I think that's probably why um, it's just it hasn't been disrupted. Now it's changing, right? The pandemic. Talk about um, talk about a terrible, terrible situation that accelerated the need for virtual care, right? Um, mental health 
and the stigma, mental health, behavioral health care, uh, the stigma, I think, has really, really um, decreased around getting mental health care. And we've seen that in our numbers. We see that in stereotypically types of um, patient bases that wouldn't necessarily have gone to get mental, you would think stereotypically wouldn't have gone to get care. They are knocking down the doors of our um, behavioral health uh, doctors and nurses um, for help because it's a real, real issue. And so the fact that, you know, we said everybody's, you know, mother or cousin or whatever had figured out how to use Zoom because it was the only way to see anybody. Um, same thing is true with healthcare and virtual. Um, and so you are starting to see some of that innovation. Um, we use our app, you know, as a marketing tool for sure. Uh, again, I think that's, you know, I was doing that eight years ago at Keep, right? But uh, we're getting there. And I think the, the other piece of it is who's, who, who's your audience? In our case, our audience is, um, you know, we're a very sort of middle-aged um, uh, patient base. And so they're less, some of them are very savvy and some of them aren't from a technical perspective. So we have to, you know, if I'm going to send out a push notification, it's obviously um, or a text message that's going to work with a certain amount of our patients or our, you know, prospects, but it doesn't work for everybody. And so we still deploy very traditional methods like direct mail. Um, and so it just, you have to understand your audience. So I think you've got the entire, you know, in our case, um, American population that we're, we're talking to a segment of them. Someday we'll, we'll get more of them. Uh, every day we are, but, but you have to understand their, ability to respond to your marketing messages. So I think it's a combination of really big titanics that need to to move or the ship needs to move and then also understanding who your audience is and what they respond to. So what's a brand now that you would really miss if it went away? Mm. Oh my gosh. Oh there's so many. Um I have to say Fresh Direct is is a mm. lifesaver. Um, I know I worked on that brand and I'm biased, but I love that service so much as a, as a working mom, um, boy, has it saved me so many times ordering on the app on the subway or, you know, late at night. So it would really, that would be one that would really, um, if it went away, I would be, I would be pretty devastated. Um, there's so many I love, but that, that's a good one. Who is, or has been the most inspiring person in your life? Oh boy. There's, there's a lot. I, I have to say my mom, um, she is just a fighter. Um, she always worked. So she, uh, was a teacher for 30 years and then she had did a total career switch and, um, became a real estate agent and she's still working to this day and crushing it. And she just totally is such a positive, um, role model for me. And I hope I'm doing that for, for my kids as well. Um, but she just, she always, she's a good Midwestern gal who moved to California when she was young, she and my dad and boy, she's total straight shooter. And she just, you know, she knows how to keep me on the straight and narrow. And whenever I would, you know, complain or, um, you know, she reminded me always. And, and I think it is how I've gotten where I've gotten that, you know, how incredibly fortunate we are, um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps okay to be down and let's go right and always kind of so so i i look at that um she's been through a lot in her life my brother died when i was young and a lot of people i mean there's no question it totally altered both all of our lives um but she really um still continues to be the most positive loving upbeat um glass half full person and i just think it's a wonderful you know there's a great expression uh, that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you make of it. And that gets me out of bed every single morning. I just think it is so true. And you see people who are successful doing that, people who have been given every opportunity in the world and are not, right? They're really kind of fumbling. Um, so for me, it is a really big life model, motto. And that comes a lot from my mom. You said you were interested in business because of the way you grew up. Is that your yeah. mom or your mom and dad or others? My dad, actually. So my dad's really, he started a small business um, when we were young. He's a mechanical engineer by trade. 
and he invented machines that sealed boxes, hot glue machines. Wow. So, yeah. So he, well, there were a couple of them, but he has a patent and he, he created this machine. And so we, I grew up in a household that was, you know, he was running a manufacturing business. Um, and so I worked there. Oh, like I would, I had every kind of job from, you know, parts to the, the document room to purchasing. Um, and he brought that work home every day. We always talked about it. We talked about it on the drive to school. We talked about it at the dinner table. Um, and it was hard, you know, running a small business. He was definitely the underdog. Um, but he employed a lot of people in the community and, um, and, and he shared a lot. He was really kind of honest about the challenges and opportunities. Frankly, you know, we, my parents didn't have a lot of disposable income. What they did have, we often spent traveling, which was really cool. And that's where my mom being the Spanish teacher, we went to, we always went to Spanish speaking countries where we could practice, right? So we went to Costa Rica way before Costa Rica was like a hot place to go and spent a lot of time in California. I'm sorry, in Mexico, because we're in California. So, um, but, but he, you know, it was like, listen, things are tough. We're not taking a vacation right now. And, and, and really, really started to understand um, business through, through his eyes and from working there. Um, and I loved it. And I also saw the challenges. I had no idea, you know, the complexity of it, obviously, or, um, you know, what it takes to, to get that to go, right? My dad getting out of bed every morning and going and leading, you know, this manufacturing business. Um, it was successfully ended up selling it to his big, biggest competitor um, later on in life. Um, but it was a really unique opportunity I realize now as a kid to get to grow up in that. I also was always lucky because I always I could pick up, you know, two weeks of work here and there in the summers, always working. Um, but uh it, it really did get me excited about business. What what's the most important business or brand lesson your father taught you throughout all these experiences you had with him as he was growing his business? <laughs> Revenue's not profit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty fundamental one uh, right i mean i remember actually yeah. i was visiting and it was when the first internet bubble was just i was definitely older at that point but it was blowing up right and i remember him just getting so angry like this is so ridiculous they they're not making any money these business models don't work this is gonna blow up and i was like oh dad come on right and i'm in my you know early 20s i'm living in new york i got friends that are working in all these industries and yeah, he was right. There was a massive blow up, but um, I've learned a lot from him. I have to say, and this is one of my favorite. Um, it's you know, if if you don't understand your customer in our in our case at Eversight patient experience, you can't be good at your job. I don't care if you're in marketing, you're in sales, you're in ops, you're answering calls. Like you have to understand what your customer is going through. Um, my dad was really funny in that he would. I hated to go to the grocery store with him because he made machines that sell boxes, right? And so that meant, you know, your 12, your cereal box, or uh, I think he may have even sold the PNG. I'm not sure. I know you were there for a long time, but, um, I love and, that. and like your, you know, your 12 pack of Coke or whatever. We would go, I, I, I reluctantly went to the grocery store with him because he'd be in there literally unpacking the pallets, like checking out, you know, competitors. He knew who he sold to and didn't sell to. And, Checking out competitors and what they were doing. Oh my God, you know, you're 10 or 12 years old. You're so embarrassing, Dad. But in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, he's doing competitive research. Like he was totally getting the the you know inside scoop at our local supermarket. And those types of things have always stuck with me. He also one time when I was in college, I brought home a bag of sugar, not a box of sugar. And I was almost kicked out of the house for the day. He, he said, what are you doing? We seal boxes, not bags. Come on. So. Passion for his business. Yeah. That's a good story to end on, Courtney. Great. This is this has been such a wonderful discussion. And congratulations on Everside and all you're doing. It's a remarkable company, remarkable brand purpose. And I, I simply love how you're approaching your work. So I have no doubt you will be successful as a company. And thank you for sharing your lessons and your inspiration. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure to get to meet you in person. Sorry. In real life. <laughs> Someday in real life, right? Let's make that a goal. I hope so. All right, I hope you so. too. Take care. Have a great one. That was my conversation with Courtney Harwood. Three takeaways for your business, brand, and life. The first one is 
understand your customers. Now, we talk about that a lot on this show, but Courtney talked about how you cannot do your job in marketing or sales if you don't deeply understand your customer, you spend time with your customer, and you have passion for what you're doing. Second takeaway, tell the story of your brand through the voice of your customers. When I asked Courtney how she was building the brand of Everside, which is a new brand, she said, we have to storytell our patient stories, our client stories, our doctors and nurses stories. Through those stories told authentically, we will build the brand. The power of storytelling is just unreal. Third takeaway, burnout. Courtney talked about being burned out in her life, becoming a, being self-aware of it, having people around her who talk to her about that and making changes in her life so she avoided the worst part of burning out, which is really mental health. So have the self-awareness when you're feeling burned out, make adjustments in your life to get over it. Courtney did, and she's way happy right now and enjoying every part of her job and life. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.